Sherry Roundtables by the House of Gustav. Welcome to Lustal Sherry Roundtable number five. My name is uh, Lucas Fayam. I'm a sommelier who's been working in restaurants for most of my professional career in both Europe and for the last 12 years in the U.S., mostly buying wines and creative beverage programs. Now, over the last five years, I've been more focused on promoting sherry wine education and culture here in America. A good example of that is that four years ago, we launched a certification program, the CSWS program, to teach about the wines from the Sherry region, providing official recognition for those candidates who pass the exam that we make students take at the end of the course. I'm the person in charge of giving those classes, and this is something that is being done in collaboration between the House of Lustau and the Consejo Regulador de Jerez. We have created what we believe is the biggest sherry certification program in the world, where we have certified about 3,500 people in the last three and a half years all across the U.S. and Canada. Another example of our recent promotional work for the wines of Jerez is our blog named Sherry Journey, where we try to connect with the larger consumer audience by sharing the endless ways you can enjoy these wines. Through that blog, we regularly create content to communicate why we think Sherry wines are so fascinating and how well they might fit into the American lifestyle too. I invite you to visit sherryjourney.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Okay. Here I have this wonderful Amontillado, uh, Jose Luis Gonzalez Obregón, Almacenista, Amontillado del Puerto, which is, no question, one of my absolute favorite wines out of the whole Lustau range. This is with about 12 years of average age and a beautiful, really beautiful uh, pale amber color. The wine, the wine is showing really, really stunning. Now, the reason why I chose this wine for this discussion is because in my view, this is a sherry that perfectly showcases the ability to go with food uh, in a very efficient way. Uh, there is one important question that we're going to try to answer momentarily, which is, what are the elements in these wines that make them extremely successful with a large variety of foods and ingredients? Well, there are probably a few elements in these wines that do that. But to me, there is one characteristic in most of them that plays a large part in that outcome. And that is the balance between the delicacy and the strength of flavor. The, the intensity and the finesse, all gracefully balanced, uh, makes these wines so food-friendly and versatile. This wine, to me, represents just that. And that's the reason why, why I chose it. Hopefully, we will shed some light on this question and much more during our conversation today because we're going to be discussing whether sherry is the ultimate food pairing wine. And I'm truly honored to be presenting this roundtable together with an extremely talented panel of wine experts. So the first thing I'd like to do is to introduce each of our guests, starting with Natasha Hughes. Natasha graduated as a Master of Wine in 2014, winning four out of the seven prizes awarded that year, including the Outstanding Achievement Award. Her dissertation, the third part of the MW exam, was on, to on the topic of Enrama Sherries. How cool is that? Huh? For four years, she was the coordinator of the Institute of Masters of Wine Education Tasting Program. Natasha is a wine consultant, 
an international wine judge, a panel chair and host for many events, and also wine teacher. She teaches uh, tasting and theory to master wine in students and leads trips to wine regions for private clients. Natasha has written extensively, extensively about food and wine pairings and was a finalist in the P.O. Cesare Food and Wine Writer Awards in both 2015 and 2017. Natasha, I'm very excited that you could join us. What are you drinking? So I'm really pleased to be here tonight. And of course, what am I drinking? It had to be an Inrama. So this particular Inrama comes from uh, El Puerto de Santa Maria, which is, you don't actually see many wines labeled with that, at least not in the UK market. Most of our, our finos are from Jerez, or we get Manzanillas from San Lucar, of course. So this is really unusual for me, and I have to say it's absolutely delicious. Uh, are Edrama wines any easier to pair with food? Oh, that's a really good question. I think they are because they've got that sort of vividness and freshness and presence. Um, but like you were saying earlier about the Amontillado, they don't dominate the food. Um, I sometimes think of sherry in terms of food matching. It's it's almost like a sort of fairly neutral palette of colours that offsets the food rather than sort of dominating the food with its sort of intensity of fruit. What what sherry can do, and Enrama does it very, very well, is is let the food do the talking and just highlights its best bits. Beautiful, beautiful. Then we have Mia Van de Water. Mia is a restaurant industry veteran with a career spanning nearly two decades, including nine years with Danny Meyers Union Square Hospitality Group, where she eventually became the beverage director of North and Grill, as well as three years on the sommelier team at 11 Madison Park, the world-famous three Michelin star restaurant in New York City, and 2017 World Best Restaurant, according to the prestigious San Pellegrino 50 Best Restaurant Award list. During her work at 11 Madison Park, Mia was a member of a group of 10 sommeliers. Yes, guys. Before COVID-19, the restaurant had one sommelier per station. She was involved in menu changes, including wine pairings, menu changes, including wine pairings, four times per year, and utilized a wine list that boasted around 5,000 selections. Mia is currently the assistant general manager at Cod Korean Statehouse in Manhattan. Finally, in 2018, Mia passed the Master Sommelier exam twice. Yes, you heard that well. Mia and a number of other fellow sommeliers from that same academy year had to take the ultra-challenging MS test twice to become a Master Sommelier. Mia, one day you will have to tell us more about that incredible and probably very Painful achievement. Uh, what are you drinking at the moment, Mia? Um, it was it was quite the it was quite the ordeal. Um, I'm actually drinking the same thing that you're drinking, Lucas. The uh, the Amontillado del Puerto, um, Jose Luis Gonzalez Obregón. Yeah. Um, I love Amontillado personally. I think it's so. I love how it sits right in the middle in terms of its. It's richness in this oxidation, but also more of the freshness you see from a, a biologically aged sharing. So. Covering a lot of ground, right? This is a wine that you can use 
for many, many different pairings for sure. That's mm-hmm. great. Uh, now I want to introduce uh, Mike Begel. Uh, Mike is the chef and founder of Creative Culinary Consulting Group Superfood Concepts, founded in 2018. Prior to that, Mike served as the executive chef of Chicago Fine Dining Institution Alinea Restaurant. For those of you who don't know, Alinea is a culinary temple and without question, one of the most renowned avant-garde and creative cuisine restaurants in the world. During Mike's eight-year leadership, the restaurant maintained three Michelin stars and at its peak, placed seven on the famous Steam Wall's 50 Best Restaurant list. In 2012, Mike became the first person in history to create floating food with Alinea's famous edible green apple balloon. Like me, Mike is addicted to quality olive oil. And so, together with his fiancée, Kat, and their business partner, Yannick Crespo, they created a revolutionary olive oil company known as Pot Duel. The oils are made from certified organic, single varietal, cold-pressed California olives and contain cannabidiol extracted from the hemp plant. Wow. Uh, I need a bottle of that, Mike. Very cool stuff. Thanks so much for taking the time. What are you drinking? Thank you for having me. Um, and pleasure to be with you guys. Um, I'm drinking the 30-year-old 30, the 30 Paulo Cortado, um, specifically because... Well, it's extremely extraordinary in flavor and depth. Um, super, super, super. It's basically for me a Montiato on or Palo Cortado on steroids. Um, sipping it really chilled, um, mm-hmm. small droplets at a time is um, is is super, super incredible. Um, lots of depth. I had the privilege of going to Bodega Le Style last year and visiting and uh, tasting the entire portfolio, basically. And I'm super honored to have this, this bottle in my presence. So thank you. Excellent. And Owen Morgan. Owen is the founder and co-owner of 44 Group, a modern Spanish restaurant group that has built a superior reputation across the UK for contemporary Spanish dishes, creative combinations, and sharing food pairings. Owen is the executive chef, the beverage director, and the trading manager for the group. So he, he does it all, basically. Since its opening in 2002, the Bar 44 Tapas Copas group, which consists in five different locations already, has become one of UK's best tapas restaurants for modern Spanish cuisine. In 2013, Owen became a certified share educator by the Consejo Regulador de Jerez. He was the first ever in Wales. In 2018, Owen was crowned UK Restaurant Personality of the Year at the annual Imbibe Magazine Awards. Owen has been runner-up in the Harper Spanish Wine Awards twice for Personality of the Year, and he also won the Spanish Heroes Award for Best Wine List in 2015 and 2016 by the same magazine. Owen, it's truly awesome to have you with us. What are you drinking? All right. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Uh, brilliant to be with you all, guys. I've got uh, one of the three Enrama series as well. I've not got the uh, El Puerto, but the Jerez version, 2020. Uh, it's absolutely stunning, by the way, really pungent. Um, and I chose it because this is these styles are sort of my go-to everyday wines, really. Uh, after sort of work, uh, long day at work, this is something I sort of, in the side door of the fridge that I love to 
love to have a glass of. Uh, and again, it can pair with so many amazing ingredients and, and dishes as well. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Fantastic. Now, before we kick it off, let's find out what our four guests think about these roundtables question. Guys, for all of you, your short answer. Is Sherry the ultimate food pairing one? Is it really a perfect marriage most of the time? Yes or no, Natasha? Most of the time. Um, and it's certainly one of my go-to uh, choices for versatility. Mia? I think that um, I'm in agreement with Natasha that Sherry is incredibly versatile and it can underpin a wide, wide variety of, of cuisine. Mike? I'm going to go ahead and third that notion. Um, I think personally, Sherry is one of those um, wines that pairs with all seasons. Um, the oxidative notes um, can work with spring. It can work with summer. It obviously works with fall and winter in a lot of different ways. Um, it, it's just an all-around seasonal beverage. So um, I have personally used Sherry in all of my cooking for a lot of years, and I've never felt it hindered by a season. I can go into depth later about, about why, but the answer is yes. Uh, Owen, what do you think? Uh, I, I, have to, I have to say yes, because this is what I tell people every day. So <laughs> uh, I, I think when you look at the category as a whole, I would say, yeah, it is, because um, it's got such a vast sort of kaleidoscope of styles, uh, colors, flavor profiles. I said, then nothing else really covers the whole spectrum like that in terms of from sort of savory to sweet and everything in between. Um, so once people begin to understand it, I think they get on board with that pretty quickly. So yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's encouraging. Everyone is uh, answering yes. So let's get this round table started. Natasha. When we talk about sherry, we always emphasize the extraordinary diversity that the region puts out, right? And hence, the wide range of ingredients and dishes that you can match with them. Now, in your opinion, what are the specific cuisines that seem to best pair with these wines? So I think there are a couple of things going for sherry in terms of, it's not just the diversity of styles of sherry, it's the diversity of foods that sherry can work with. So one of the things that, that I like to talk about is how sherry is actually often a really good partner for flavors that are difficult. So things like artichokes that can make that that have that um, com compound in them that can make things taste weirdly sweet or bitter for some reason, sherry fino is one of the few things that can take that on and not suffer. Um, salad dressings, those tangy, sharp salad dressings that that kill most wines stone dead, sherry can manage to cope with that. Um, so I think you've got a lot of opportunity um, to play with flavors that are otherwise tricky um, in terms of wine matching. That's one thing. The other thing that I like doing with sherry is it's very easy to match wines with foods that come from 
the same place of origin. So it's very easy to match Bordeaux with Lamb from Poyac, for instance. It's very easy to take the easy option and and to pair a glass of Fino with a plate of Patanegra ham, and there is not, nothing wrong with that. You know, it's one of my favourite things to do. But I think when you come to Asian cuisines, because there's no wine culture that's grown up in Asia alongside the food, there are no obvious food pairings to make with some of those dishes. And I think Sherry can really come in and work incredibly well with those sort of umami rich flavors that you get in Asian cuisines and create this richness. I think Owen had something to add there. Uh, yeah, just, just briefly to the fact that when we do trade tasting, trade events or consumer tastings, I actively try and pair them with anything but Spanish food mm-hmm. um, purely to get people out of that mindset that it's, uh, you know, Andalusian cuisine and, and sherry and, you know, sort of maybe some fried fried fish or fino or something like that, uh, even though they're amazing. But you take them out of that and you do some sashimi with some manzanero fino, um, I, I, you know, curries, Asian food. Uh, absolutely something with miso sauce for instance and sherry can be a really wonderful pairing and there's a real temptation i don't know whether it happens um in the states but in the uk there is a real temptation to ghettoize sherry so so natasha those were the things that you especially like uh, to pair with jerez uh are there any limitations any any no-goes with sherry I think I would hesitate to, although sherry goes incredibly well with a a wide range of seafood dishes, I think, you know, sort of maybe sort of very delicate white fish. I think I might hesitate to, to bring in sherry with that because even though sherry can, can act as a sort of relatively neutral foil to most flavors with something like a Dover sole that's just grilled and served very plain, you know, you, you just want to appreciate the delicacy of that flavor. And I think in that instance, even a manzanilla might be just a little bit too forceful. Maybe a heavily filtered manzanilla would be. <laughs> Uh, but then why would you want that. to drink a heavily filtered manzanilla with something that would go far better with it you know almost any other kind of shellfish oh and then again besides its diversity what makes Jerez such a food friendly wine yeah I mean there's no doubt that the way they're made mm-hmm. uh, you know or the majority of sherry is made with in the solar system and that has a big part to play on why uh they're, they're so food friendly um and for me until you get obviously to the, the sweet end of the spectrum that dry savoriness um makes it hugely appealing to so many so many different dishes cuisines and, and, and ingredients and uh, like mike said earlier that that sort of dry umami oxidized sort of flavors uh just take on so many different things so well so and equally the way these wines are made you can go from having a very very simple sherry to something extremely complex and sophisticated Mm -hmm. so within a few styles you've got so much diversity uh and then you're you're sort of 
covering so many bases when it comes to food. Um, I think the lack of the lack of fruit as well. Absolutely agree. It is something that you know uh, it has obviously over any other wine category. Yep. So that's um, a, a big thing for me. Yeah. The, the way I see it, uh, versatility comes from the range of levels of sweetness, sugar, yeast contact, glycerin, oxidation, volatile acidity. Eh? Those things can go from non-existent to super high levels, right? So that range gives you a lot of versatility. And, that, and then food affinity, more specifically, could be that umami character, the savoriness, and the lack of, of fruitiness, right? Yeah. And then that, that balance that I was referring to between delicacy and, and a string of flavor. Huh? So those are the things that, I, in, in my view, make, make Jerez um, so, so versatile and, and so food-friendly. I, I want to ask this same question to everyone else. I would agree with sort of the, the general um, things that have been brought up already. I think the, the phenolic characteristics of sherry, the, the mouthfeel and the way that that presents and, the and especially the, yeah, the texture and, and the nutty characteristics that you see uh, in many of the styles are really good, especially if you're dealing with things that are, are grilled or charred or otherwise there's like some, some blackened aspects to the cooking techniques. I think that, picks up really nicely texturally um, and this has already been mentioned but the the savoriness of sherry makes it really perfect for foods um, and dishes that are based around more of an umami flavor as opposed to something sweeter and fruitier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natasha? Um, so like the others, I keep coming back to, to this, this savory character, this, it's almost like a fruit neutrality and, and excuse the metaphor, I've, I'm sort of working on redecorating my house at the moment. It's a kind of lockdown thing. So I've kind of got decoration on the mind, but it's like having this kind of new, neutral, but not characterless range of, of paint colors that offsets everything else. It just makes, it makes everything else looks so good because it's not fighting with it. It's not dominating that flavor profile. And as well, you've, you've got that kind of structural thing. You've got that sort of hint of phenolic character, which lends, lends some sort of support and structure, but without having overt tannin. Um, so I think that's often really helpful and really underrated as a food pairing tool. It's, so versatile because of that it kind of enhances the five senses of the tongue and kind of fills that role of bitter sweet sour umami whatever and it plays that role perfectly and because of that it's so versatile the finish of it's so strong there's no season that i've found that doesn't pair really really well with sherry very good uh and i'm going to ask you uh about your personal favorite sherry pairings uh those pairings that turn a curious foodie into sherry aficionado for for life uh who wants to start uh owen your personal favorite sherry pairings maybe one one or two or three in the copper Jerez final actually in the uk we we paired a carabinero uh we made a sauce with the head and the monteado and we we paired that with a lighter monteado and that was actually fantastic the depth of the brawn could take it quite well um other ones i would say duck and paolo cotado the sort of 
one of my favorite things uh, at a certain time of the year. And again, comfort in comfort food, any sort of cheek, uh, ox cheek, a pig cheek or anything like that in Oloroso. Um, if it's from a comfort bowl of food in the middle of the table for the family, or if it's elevated to a fine dining dish, I think it's sort of one of my things I would always choose on a menu and, and have a glass of that with it. So Very good. Natasha, any personal favorites? Actually, you know, one of the things that, that um, I like to think about, apart from this thing about barbecued and smoky food, sometimes going really nicely, that sort of rich, meaty barbecue, that works really well quite often with a sort of oloroso or palo cortado sort of flavors. But actually what I'm going to go for here is a cheese board. Now, I don't know whether things have changed elsewhere, but in the UK, quite often people reach for red wine when the cheese board comes out. And I just, you know, I think red wine is not necessarily the best match for cheese. But, but um, you know, give me a palo cortado or an oloroso. And, you know, one of those really hard, mature cheeses, you know, an aged, um, an aged gouda maybe. Or, or something sort of, or a piece of Parmesan. And I'm quite happy to sit there and sort of nibble on the cheese and sip at the wine and talk with good friends for into the wee small hours, basically. Um, I at one point had Amontillado and bone marrow together, and I felt like that was really, really magical. That was like an unexpected and super transportive um, pairing full disclosure i drink sherry with everything <laughs> like for breakfast lunch and dinner um my fiance and i we like to travel a lot um i've come to learn not only from my appreciation of sherry that you know like i mentioned earlier we kind of order it with everything um spent a lot we lived in hong kong for a while it pairs really well with cantonese food we spent a lot of time in japan uh the, the smoky aspect of yakitori um, really enhances uh, the grilled meats, especially with a bichaton. Um, it pairs beautifully, kind of like, you know, what Mia said with foie gras, I'm sorry, with bone marrow, it pairs well with rich ingredients, you know, the, the high acidity, um, high alcohol, foie gras, um, obviously truffles or umami. So I think sherry pairs really well with Italian cuisine, minus the red sauce. You know, charcuterie is a big one. I think one of my my top go-tos is, um, you know, really well-made charcuterie, of course, a barico, um, but prosciuttos and any kind of cured salted hams and meats pair really, really, and just kind of accentuate those umami notes, um, all sorts of nuts. So like simple, bright, fresh salads with springtime vegetables and kind of roasted almonds, or we were in Savannah, we did pecans, um, a little bit of sherry vinegar and, and olive oil. It's just perfect, perfect pairing. Um, and I think the most understated that people probably would really would be a great gateway is just grilled meats. Um, really helps accentuate umami and, and makes it very, very appreciative. You realize you just put together a, a menu for, you know, yeah. for a table or two. You know what I did? I all did wish, it. all with Sherry. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I could I could do a first course, the last course, and and desserts is a good it's a good point. You know, vanilla ice cream and sherry, no no problem. 
we are all aware of the many possible stigmas around sherry and the association of these wines. How should we respond to that? How would you approach someone for the first time in order to convert him or her into a sherry lover without failing? Is the food pairing element an essential aspect to get that job done? The, th the thing I would do is, would be to smack the guest with the complete opposite of, uh, of what they're coming in thinking they're drinking. So I would give them, uh, you know, a glass of fino and some almonds um, and say, try this. And I, and I do think um, for first timers, definitely, that food is probably a necessary uh, addition, even if it's something as simple as a bar snack like that, because it just, the mouthfeel changes so quickly. And it's quite an austere, bracing first sip someone might have if they've never had it before. I, I think it's a, I think it's a good place to start because people have confidence that they understand food. People are so much more confident about their likes and dislikes with food than they are with wine. I think you know, especially if you don't say to people, "This is a glass of sherry." If you just said, "Have a glass of this and try it with this this piece of grilled meat." I think you, you'd start to sort of knock prejudices down. So we, on at least three different menus over my time at Alum Madison Park, used sherry as the first wine in a pairing. Um, we used a bunch of TX after dinner, but that's, I think, a different conversation. And we found that Although there is a bit of a, there's a generational um, split in my experience where the older generation is less willing to try sherry because they have this, I think, more long-term association with it as like a sweet blended style. Um, and the younger generation of people, at least the kind of young people who save up lots of money to come to dinner at a mountain park are much more open and, and interested and curious and trying new things. Um, but for us, if we just poured it and walked away and we're like, and said like, this is your first pairing and you know, your morel custard will be out shortly. Uh, people would send it back more often and say like, Hey, can I get something else? I don't like this. Then if we started the conversation by saying, Hey, with your first course, we really love, um, it was e either Fino or Manzanilla always. We really love Manzanilla Sherry with the morel custard. Um, can I, can I pour you that to start? And most of the time you'd get a yes and then people would keep it and drink it and talk to you about how they felt about it. I definitely agree with Mia said, but also I personally, as a chef, I consider Sherry as like a wine and a spirit and a food all in one. I mean, the characteristics and the notes that I get off Sherry, I'm totally content with not pairing it and not even being forced to feel like I need to pair it. And I think that's something that I was trying to touch on before. It's like, once you just kind of appreciate those notes, like I can drink this, you know, on the patio at sunset, I can drink it before food, with food, just understanding how much umami and complexity that goes on with it. It doesn't need to be this conversation where it's like, well, I can, and again, that goes back to what I said with, you know, at least in the United States, in my personal opinion, people's inability to kind of appreciate and understand, you know, the differences between Fino and PX and, you know, or, or Amontillado. And they are wildly diverse. So there's this kind of like misunderstanding of how it needs to be drank. And I think once people start to have access, they're just going to understand that they can have it 
as a food. <laughs> in, in, in relation to all this we're just uh, discussing right now, l last week we had a round table on sherry cocktails. And what about sherry cocktails and food? I mean, as you were saying, in the U.S., uh, mixing sherry and cocktails is a very popular way to sell these wines. Other people believe uh, the region should be only focusing on the by the glass and food pairing recourse, if you will. But should we try to combine both alternatives, food and sherry cocktails? Mike, a a aviary, right? I mean, they were making a lot of cocktails. They were were they pairing the cocktails um, with food? Yeah. So this is a complicated. Do you, do, topic. do you believe? Do you believe in cocktails, sherry cocktails, and food pairing? Of course, totally. I mean, I don't really have any. You know, as long as as long as the spirit or the wine or the ingredient is being respected, I don't have a problem with how it gets mixed. Uh, my personal mo, especially with sherry, is not to over adulterate it and make sure that it doesn't get like. For me, cocktails need to be specifically really nuanced. Um, not not too sweet, not bastardized. So I haven't actually had much experience of matching sherry cocktails with food personally, but I see no reason. It's it's just you know as long as as long as the cocktail is created in a thoughtful way, there's no reason why that shouldn't be paired with food. I mean, I drink other kinds of cocktails with, mm -hmm. with food, so why not sherry cocktails? Oh well. Sherry's hugely booming in the uh, in the bar scene as a, as a, a, a mixology ingredient. So you see it a lot, and in sort of high end, well respected cocktail bars. Um, but they also maybe not in places where people will be sitting down having food. Um, so they may be just enjoying a sherry cocktail on its own. Um, we certainly, I mean, we enter lots of sherry cocktail competitions with our, our staff as well. Uh, but using ingredients. Uh, and our larder to make those cocktails. Uh, so using food in the cocktails uh, in, in the process uh, is a good way to do it. But um, I, I don't see why you can't uh, pair dishes with it. And I think it goes back to what Mike said in that you're respecting the product and how it's been produced and what's been behind that. I think cocktail and food pairing is really difficult. Um, you have to, the the cocktails have to be so supremely well balanced because I think otherwise the the potential for um, for one element or another to Gla be like glasses. sticking out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in like you're it's almost like you're you're doubling the the number of ingredients that you're having to make harmonious. Um, so I I think it's very difficult. I don't know if anyone who really succeeds successfully doing serious food in cocktail pairings. Um, that being said, people definitely like to drink cocktails with food sometimes. So, Many times you see sherry offer at the very beginning of the culinary experience, aperitif, uh, usually biological wines, or you see sherry with desserts, the sweet styles, right? So let's consider now the three, biological, oxidative, and, and sweet. And if we follow that rule, uh, dry oxidative wines, many times in restaurants or in a restaurant context, 
there are many times uh, left out because it's either at the beginning or, or at the end. Nina, uh, Mia, you were saying uh, in in uh, that's what happened in uh, Eleven Madison Park that we used to use them either at the beginning or, or at the end. My question is, are there gray cherries out there to go with with your main courses? And that will probably be the dry oxidative wines, right? So are we not using enough oxidative dry oxidative wines uh, for food pairing in restaurants? Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair statement um, for us because the it was always the pairings were international by design um, and also at least like in America people have very strong feelings about drinking sufficient quantities of red wine when they order a wine pairing um, it's very important to them and so everywhere for us it never like i i totally agree with you that like an oloroso does really well with um like meats or like really rich like um vegetable dishes or mushroom dishes but in terms of the overall like progression of the pairing it never it never made sense for us to pull one of the red wines in favor of putting a sherry in there. Which is not a comment on the food pairing ability of the wine. It, it's more of a like perceived value with the guests. Yeah, I mean, for me, oxidative dry uh, works all of the time. Um, I appreciate Fino and I appreciate PX. And again, um, you know, I can pair, like I'm gonna digress for one second and again like kind of comment that well a i don't consume really a lot of sweets not in my cocktails not in my desserts um and again i'm speaking as a representative of the u.s where i feel like there's an epidemic of sugar happening and clearly there's you know in north america in general there's an epidemic of sugar consumption and the kind of the the habitual eating of it and so from a chef's perspective people that would um, expect a PX at the end of the meal um, kind of coincides with the belief that desserts in general need to be super sweet. And, you know, you can roast a parsnip in the wintertime, just a beautiful parsnip, and you can drizzle it with a little bit of date syrup or a little bit of honey, and it can satiate all the qualities that you want, and it can pair beautifully with a dry oxidative sherry. Um, so I think like there's an education that kind of needs to happen with where I'm at um, in the U.S. where people just kind of expect, well, now it's time for dessert. So I need I need a lot of sugar right now. And it's like a wild misconception and it leads to a whole bunch of problems. Um, and I love PX Sherry. I don't drink it very often. And I love, you know, and I don't drink it often. So to kind of like, you know, umbrella your question for me, oxidative dry for everything, but also again, I feel that it's almost a food replacement. And, and that's what I find myself drinking the most of. As Mike was saying, I personally like and feel, believe it's much more exciting the opposite. When you're trying to pair dry wines with sweeter food, right? When, we, when you're trying to push a dry wine to its limits, and let's say an oloroso palo cortado with any low sugar content desserts. Natasha, more dry wines to go with uh, sweeter food? 
So I, I think one of the interesting things about oxidative sherries is quite often they have aromatic characteristics that almost smell sweet. You've got that dried fruit character. You've and got the alcohol. The alcohol also makes uh, it sweeter. There's the texture as well, but you've often got this kind of almost kind of caramelized note. You've got that sweet vanillin that comes from all that aging in in oak. You've you've got um, you've got this dried fruit profile, and I think there is an opportunity to play games with people's expectations um, and and palates by using those kinds of flavors in the wines to pair with not hyper hyper sweet foods but foods that have elements of those kinds of flavors yeah agreed how do you how do you go from a sort of a sweet wine pairing early on how do you go on from that in a tasting menu uh with other wines it's very difficult but with um with desserts i think yeah we we've done lots of things um Certainly when cheese is involved and, and certain cheesecakes, which can be quite savoury, take a sort of a Basque cheesecake where you could use a smoky Idiazabal used, used cheese. Um, pair a great dry dry sherry with that, um, possibly in a Montiato or not Ola Rosso, if you get the, the time of year and what fruit you may have as an accompaniment and how you treat that. So that's works really well. Um, and yeah, things, potential souffles and things where you sort of just bringing the lightness of the dessert up and it's not too heavy. Uh, so I do think that's, that's possible. Um, there, there are dishes you could you know, think like foie gras, pâtés, maybe sort of fruit elements early in the meal. But when it comes to wine pairing after that, then uh, it's hard for the palate to readjust again. Uh, Mike, you were saying from the beginning, you were saying sherry can be your wine to go to. Go to uh any time around the year any uh, throughout any season uh winter spring fall summer in the summer does it stick to does it need to stick to the light finos or manzanillas or or no, a good a good oloroso can be a good pairing for for summertime a hundred percent i mean I, i i drink a lot of oloroso palo cortado amontillado um I might even argue that I drink most of it in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, a good chilled fortified wine is really, really special in the summer. I think the sweet, the natural sweetness that comes from fresh springtime and summer vegetables really helps uh, become a gateway for flavor for dry um, oxidative sherries, which again are my favorite. If we are convinced the right way to sell these wines is through the endless food matching possibilities they offer, How do we translate the, uh, this into the retail environment? Food pairing suggestions hanging from bottlenecks? Better wine profile info shown overall, as we were saying before? Uh, if you don't have a sommelier working the floor of a wine store, how do you make these wines appeal to food lovers? Uh, and in your in your opinion, do the labels show enough information about the taste of these wines? Or on the other hand, should the Consejo try to add more? Like for you guys, you're familiar with the style. So you see Fino, Manzanilla, Montiado, Loroso, you know what to expect. But uh, consumers, if I'm to grab a bottle, a bottle off a shelf in a retail store, do I have enough information to know 
this is going to be great with what I'm cooking tonight. Natasha. I, so I think there's a limit to how much information you can put on a back label um, before people's eyes glaze over. And, and frankly, I don't think it's the information on the back label that's going to make people reach for a bottle of sherry. I think if I was devising some kind of marketing campaign to sell more sherry with a food matching angle in the off trade, what I would do is probably target um, some of the stores that actively recruit people who are interested in wine and talk to them about pairing sherry with food and then let them enthuse on your behalf. You were saying, um, yeah, um, to your view, how is food and wine pairing in restaurants going to be affected by COVID-19? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that, I, other than like finding ways to grow a top line sales through creating like appeal, both um, like a taste and financially appealing food and wine pairing options, which is always a good way to, to grow your check average as an operator. Um, I, I think that the, the pandemic in my experience at the moment is not affecting whether or not people want to drink wine, which I appreciate, but it is affecting how much money people want to spend on wine. Oh, when are your plans changing for your offerings uh, out of the restaurants for, to try to, to fit the, the current situation? Yes, I think um, when you talk about economy, I think that's a big thing, economy and, and health. Uh, but I think from the on-trade point of view, the restaurant point of view, uh, in, in our case, certainly, unfortunately, we're going to have to reduce uh, size, the sheer size of wine lists because um, we can't afford to suddenly hold so much money tied up in stock uh constantly and, and that money need, needs releasing so you're gonna have to be which weirdly could be a good thing because it makes you a bit more nimble a bit more reactive a bit more adaptive and and uh you know quicker on things but equally we're not gonna be able to have as many chefs in the kitchen mm -hmm. um so the teams are going to be smaller front of house teams have to be smaller and all these issues so it makes things really hard uh, and it puts a strain on on the company and your team who you want to look after um and as mia said you you know the people that do want to go out there will be less of them because there'll be well more unemployment for a start and and people with health concerns but the people who do want to go out want to have a memorable experience um and they also want you know want to go to somewhere they can trust um to to deliver that 10 times out of 10 um, so that's what I think we're all so, so, so shorter, quicker menus, maybe with fewer options, fewer items, maybe with fewer, with fewer, fewer wines, but maybe yeah. you keep, maybe you keep your sherries there. So there is less competition. So opportunity for Jerez to sell more. Funnily enough, that's the first thing I've done. <laughs> so I've slashed the wine list, but, uh, my brother and sister have, yeah, first email back to me. It was like, Oh, the sherry list is still very big. Uh, <laughs> Um, but it just, I think, gives it gives it does give you opportunity. So, uh, but yeah, guys, we have to go. Uh, we're out of time. So, um, I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation and learned something new. I, I, I certainly did. Uh, because this today was the last episode of the summer series. 
Thank you everyone for being on with us and thank you to all our fabulous guests who I would like to ask to raise your glasses and make a toast to everyone. Be safe, right? Be well. Stay fortified. That's what we like to say. Thank you guys. It's been a pleasure. The House of Lustau.